Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, guys. How's it going? All right. So, wow, how do you even... Guide-centering prayer after Raphael just brought out all the waterworks. My goodness. But that's a good thing. I needed that this week. Um, so give me one word for this week. Surrender. What'd you say? Blessed. Magical. Cold. Faith. Faith. And so how did you use your faith this week? What did you, what kind of trials, tribulations did you face that you felt like you just needed that trust, that you needed that faith? It's an example. Anyone? I can give you one for me. That works. Um, so my little dog, he's 16. He had a seizure. My Gabby over here, she, it was like she knew. She just like checked on me, and I was like, wow, thank you. But um, I had to use faith to persevere through that, and I was like, everything's going to be okay. And he's fine now. I mean, he's 112 years old. What more can I ask? <laughs> this man is just persevering. He is wearing a Banana Republic sweater right now, so he's good. <laughs> he's living his best life. But faith just... You know, you get into those moments where it's just what Jenny said earlier, surrender and you just, okay, all right, God, I'm here. What are, you, what are we doing, you know? So, but something I learned this week, I've been practicing it for a while and I want to teach it to you guys. Um, you can use this method to calm the mind, heart, body, and soul um, when you, you're experiencing that, that trial and that tribulation and it's called alternate nostril breathing. Has anyone ever heard of this before? Has anyone ever practiced it? Okay, so um, what we're gonna do together as we dive into this meditation, and of course I'll guide you, is you're gonna use your thumb, your middle finger, <laughs> should know what that finger is, and um, <laughs> or you can use your thumb and your pointer, but I use thumb and middle, and I'll go like this so you can see. And so what we're going to do together in unison, we're going to place our fingers over our nostril, the bridge of our nose. And together, so we can practice now, you're going to close. Let's start with our left nostril. So you're going to close your left nostril. And you're going to breathe in through the right nostril. Fill the belly, fill the soul with that breath. Remove the finger off your left nostril. 
Place it on the right nostril and breathe all the way out through the left nostril. Right? And then we breathe in through the left nostril with that right nostril closed and out through the right nostril with that left nostril closed. And then we keep alternating. So we breathe in. Switch your finger, you breathe out through the opposite nostril. And do this at your own pace. And as you dive into this, really feel that breath going in through your nostril. Allow yourself to consciously breathe and allow the breath to alternately just leave the body. And feel the body just calm itself. Feel your heart rate slow down. And take a few more of these breaths. So in through one nostril. Out through the other. Two more of these. In through one nostril. And you release out through the other. One more. in through one nostril and out allow your hand to fall you can place your palms up to receive place your palms down to ground place your hands on your heart whatever is comfortable for you and we take a deep inhale through both nostrils and we audibly exhale out through the mouth. Oh, beautiful. Let's do that again together. So deep inhale through the nostril. And we audibly exhale through the mouth. Oh, beautiful. One more. Deep inhale. Hold it at the top. Five, four, three, two, audible exhale beautiful and we move to what is called our ujjayi breath we keep the breath within so we breathe in through the nose and out through the nose so deep inhale deep exhale let the body be filled with the breath send that breath to the belly Deep inhale, feel the lungs expand as you consciously breathe. And we exhale. Allow yourself to find your own rhythm, to sink into your breath, sink into your soul. There's one thing that always remains with us through this lifetime and it is that breath. 
And so when the mind starts to wander, when the mind wanders into the past or into the future, and you are in a moment where you need to find stillness, I ask that you come home to your home within. That is your breath. Deep inhale. And we release, exhale. And as you inhale, you invite the light of God. Imagine this beautiful light entering your nose to the forehead, all the way down the spine. And we exhale and we let go. And we surrender to what is to the present moment as it is all we have. Deep, deep inhale and we let go. To find stillness within isn't to be absent of thought. It is to allow the thought to be without attaching yourself to the thought, it is to become the observer. That is stillness. It is to be accepting of what is. You are stillness. Deep inhale through the nose. Deep inhale, feel the body just begin to float as we let go together. Place your hands on your heart. I want you to think of someone, one of your loved ones, family, friends, that needs this light in this moment. And send that person some love, some light. that love out to the world. We are so powerful that together, we put our hearts together, we have the power to heal humanity. The answer lies within us. And so we send this light out to the world. And then we bring that love into our hearts again and we send that light back into ourselves. When's the last time you told yourself you loved yourself? Do it now. And last time we take a deep inhale and we hold it one more time. In five, four, three, two, audible exhale let it go I invite you to come back <laughs> to present-day reality open your eyes wiggle your fingers and your toes and may this peace remain with you all week namaste <laughs> thank you
Good morning, Hartway. Yeah. Hey, hold up. Y'all like my shoes? You see that, right? And no boot, right? No boot. <laughs> that Achilles is healing. Before I start, may I pray with you guys? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, I, I have a request before I begin. I ask you authentically that you would allow me to decrease as you increase. Allow Ryan to dissipate, to be nothing more than a vessel. Because when we are weak, you are strong. And I fervently ask you that every heart that needs a word today, every heart that needs an encounter with you, I ask you that these clay lips would be nothing more than a conduit to bring your love forth in a practical way. We love you and we thank you. Amen. The title for today's sermon is called Solitary Journeys. But before we get into all that, you know what's funny? A lot of people get really irritated with Danny when they come in and see Hartway, especially on their first time and they're not used to it. Because something that we who are part of the Hartway family notice is that Danny doesn't really bring us a pretty little dogmatic box within which we can contain our rigid beliefs. We come here seeking answers. We come here seeking clarity where we can just put a period at the end of our sentences and go home and say, okay, I understand it now, I'm good, thanks, pastor. But instead, he leaves us with the thing that we want in every area other than in our spirituality, which is space. Leaves us space to explore ourselves, leaves us space to pursue God and we don't really like that a lot of the times. <laughs> but that approach of his is pivotal because ultimately that is the foundation of the goal here at Hardway. The goal is not for you to come into these walls and feel like you're sitting in a temple, but rather it's intended for you to discover and pursue the temple within yourself. And you know, that, that whole concept of this inner pursuit, that inner pursuit is a very solitary journey. See where I'm going with this now? <laughs> it's a very solitary journey because we can't take anyone inward with us. We have to do it alone. But also, when we look at the scriptures, my parents are prayer warriors, they, you know, it was shouting scriptures when I was about yay high, so you know, I gotta make sure when they in here, I always gotta bring, bring some kind of scripture in here. But when we look at the Bible stories, we see a lot of individuals who are encountering unique experiences. We look at Jesus, for example. Jesus was gifted with insight and overwhelming open-mindedness, but in a closed-minded and ignorant world. He even had to say to them, you don't understand me. <laughs> I speak, but you comprehend not. Joseph, Joseph was the favorite 
son of his father. And yet, he later found himself immersed in slavery. How much of a unique experience is it to be beloved and enslaved? Mary is another perfect example. Have any of you ever heard about a pregnant virgin? Whether you believe that that occurred or not, the depiction of that is beneficial. I mean, imagine, ladies, walking to your parents and saying, I have something to tell you guys. I'm pregnant. But don't worry, don't worry. It is the seed of the living God. Watch how quickly your mom brandishes a weapon. And so, in all of those depictions, we see that, that unique life experiences equate to solitary journeys. And so my question for you today is, do you relate? Do you relate to being in experiences where when you call your friends and you talk to them and you're asking for help, you're looking for insight, perhaps you're just looking for someone to resonate with you and share in your pain, they don't understand. Instead of sitting with you in empathy and love, they challenge you. They say, maybe you've done something wrong. They say, I don't get it. Maybe you've lived a whole bunch of life, and so you feel like it would make sense that you can relate to all the humans around you, and yet you find yourself in rooms full of people where you still feel alone. Do you relate to that? Come on, y'all so quiet. <laughs> Acting like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, I'm the only one tripping in here? Okay, all right, that's my fault. I'm gonna just preach to me then, is that cool? All right. <laughs> and so the question becomes why? Why does God allow us to embark on these solitary journeys, but rather, why does God send us on them? Without a doubt, there's purpose in it, but what is that purpose? And I'd like to appeal to you that there are certain wounds that can't be healed in a crowd. I'd like to appeal to you that there are certain ways of thinking that cannot be unlearned in a crowd. Because we tend to reiterate our own foolishness to one another. So sometimes, in order for God to deal with my nonsense, he needs to get, away, get me away from me and my knucklehead friends so that he could deal with me intimately. And so going on with this, with this concept, thinking about these unique experiences, solitary journeys, I'd like to take us to a scripture, Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now just hold on for this a second. Before you were born, I set you apart. Remember that little quote, set you apart. Let's go to another quote. This is a quote by a man by the name of Blaise Pascal. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now underline that part, sit quietly in a room alone. When I combine those two statements about 
sitting in a room alone, about being set apart, they're saying to me that God wants to set us apart, but we suffer when we resist that separation. We suffer when we don't accept and embrace those solitary journeys that God puts us on. When he sets us apart and we resist it, when we say, no, I want to go back into the crowd. I want to go back into those places that are comfortable. Because when God takes me in the wilderness, now I'm scared. Now I'm in pain. We resist our solitary journeys. And so simply my intent with this sermon is to explain why solo journeys, the solitary journeys God takes us on, are so crucial to our growth and development as people and as children of God. But I want to convey this through a metaphor today. Imagine your heart as a house. In the same way that God cleanses our hearts, Imagine cleaning out your house. And I simply want to appeal to you today. Three places, is that three fingers? Okay. Three places in your house that you can only clean alone. The first place is the attic or your belief systems. The second place is your closet, your personal history. And the third place is the family safe, generational patterns. So let's start off with the attic, your belief systems. This whole process of belief construction is one of the greatest areas of fear that we encounter in our lives, both mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And we can even look back historically, and it makes perfect sense that this is the case, because think about the fact that religion has been consistent throughout history. We can't even think of a time where religion was not present and humans had language. And yeah, sure, on one end, you could say that, yeah, it's because people were searching for God. They wanted to get closer to him. Perhaps that's involved. But another key element or reason as to why is because everyone wants an authority that can bring clarity to the confusion in their life, that can bring clarity to the misunderstandings, bring clarity to the things that don't really make any sense. And so if there is a lacking authority, if there is no omnipotent God, then who's got the answers? Who has the answers? Who can save me from my victimhood? Who can explain my failures to me? Who can rectify my future? These are scary questions because they're causing us to do the number one thing we don't want to do, which is face the unknown. Face it head on, because by the way, do you know the definition of fear psychologically? Fear is designed to fill in the unknown with the worst case scenario. So the literal evolutionary purpose of fear is to help us resist the unknown. Even if we're resisting it with lies, I just want to fill it in. 
that scary? And so when you really start to look at this, you realize that we're a lot like curious children. Got a lot of parents in here? Y'all already know what I'm about to say. When they go through that phase when they're asking you 10 million questions, why is it raining outside? Where do kids come from? Why do trees make apples? Are we stealing the apples from the trees? It's like, what? What do you, what's wrong with you? Like, where'd you get that from? You need to stop watching Blue's Clues, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so we see that they're asking a million questions. But there comes a time in that child's life, this key pivotal moment, where they ask their parents a question that the parents don't have an answer for. Maybe it happens in the teenagers, maybe it happens in the early adulthood, but they end up asking a life question that represents that that child or that young adult has now reached the end of their parents' ability to help them. They've now reached the edge of the cliff. And now in order to move forward in their pursuit of wisdom, in their pursuit of understanding, in their pursuit of God, they have to take a step into the unknown. And what this image is a metaphor for is it's a death of authority. There was a death that occurs in that moment where we realize I now have questions that are pivotal to my clarity that no one else can answer for me. I have to do it for myself. This is the moment that the deconstruction of our old beliefs, the deconstruction of our hand-me-down beliefs, the things, the, the beliefs that we were given, the, the beliefs that we were presented because of where we came from or our environment or anyone that was in our vicinity, we now realize we have to come up with our own beliefs and ultimately embrace the not knowing. We have to embrace the unknown. But we simply need to understand that when we embrace the unknown, when we learn to transcend that fear, it brings immeasurable power. Romans 8, 38 through 39. This was written by the Apostle Paul. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the Lord of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I seriously, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to, to, for you to just focus on me right now. I want you to forget I'm here and listen to the fervency in this message. He's saying, for I am sure that death can't take me from God, that life can't separate me from God, that you could bring an angel right here and he ain't got nothing to do with my relationship with God. You could let a demon run up in this room and I know who my God is. The fervency in saying none of these things in all of creation can separate me from the love of God 
you can't experience that when you just think that God is external to you. You got to have the living God. You got to have the living word in you to talk like that. This isn't about Apostle Paul. What he's doing is he's showing us a paradigm for what happens when we embrace our solitary journeys. Because you got to get away from the crowd to talk like that. You have to be able to be solo, be intimate in your experience of God. And when you come back, when you come out of that wilderness, you find this level of inner security. Number two, y'all. <laughs> the second place that you can only clean alone is your closet. Uh-oh. <laughs> your personal history. The closet is a scary place. It's a frightening place to go in there because that's where all our skeletons are. And only we know how jacked up we really are. We have all our social media, we have all our certificates and degrees and our bank account numbers, but in that closet though? You got that stuff from five, 10 years ago. You got that stuff from last week that you just pushed up in there. And we can only clean that stuff alone, but a primary reason why is because our guilt and our shame paralyzes us from allowing those things to be seen or encountered by other people. That guilt and that shame entraps us. It entraps us in having that messy closet because we think that if I were to let those skeletons out, if I were to take them out in order to clean that closet, the pain and the overwhelming energy of that shame and guilt will overwhelm me. But those two emotions, that guilt and shame, they are actually built on a profound level of ignorance. An level of ignorance about this truth. Our foolishness is sacred. There's a scripture that says, come on, mama, she loves this scripture. Take off your shoes for the ground that you walk on is holy. I used to think that the holy ground that was talking about was only in church. I didn't realize that the holy ground it was talking about was also in my closet. It's all sacred. Why? Because my foolishness created my appetite for God. Amen. Mm -hmm. It is the thing that pushed me to go on my search. Because when I had it all together, I was dumb enough to think that it was because of me. I was dumb enough to think that I was humble. <laughs> Because I was opening the door for people and because I was smiling at people and I gave somebody $5 on the street, I'm so humble thinking that Ryan had anything to do with it. No, our foolishness, it breeds humility, it breeds our hunger. Say it again. <laughs> 
This is one of my favorite quotes that I've encountered in my entire life. It's a quote by Jordan Peterson. Dr. Jordan Peterson, excuse me. Sorry, I'm, man, when I, when I get my doctorate, I'm gonna be calling myself doctor all the time. So I make sure when somebody else got a doctorate, I'll be like, I'll be talking to Danny at the gym. I'll be like, what up, Dr. D? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all know it. But this quote, the fool, is the precursor to the archetypal savior. The prerequisite, first let me break down the term savior. Don't think of savior in some holier dogmatic sense. I like to think of savior as simply being a representation of being usable, having utility. Because my thinking is God uses us, God saves, right? God uses us as tools to do his saving. So in order for God to save through me, I got to be usable. And it's saying that the prerequisite for that to be possible through me is my foolishness. Last year, particularly towards the end of the year, was uh, very challenging for me. Those of you who, who knew, in August, early August, my birthday month of all months, I was kickboxing. I take a step back, no impact, no nothing. My Achilles just pops. Complete tear. My doctor even said, I have no, I have no idea why this happened to you, but you got six months to a year to figure it out. End up having to get surgery with no insurance, hallelujah. <laughs> the day after my birthday on top of that end up not walking for five months end up finding myself being influenced by the fact that I couldn't walk I find myself being influenced by uh, some pretty quick financial challenges I then find myself the week before Christmas when my new niece had just been born and I'm gonna get to see her in Orlando for the first time, I find out that I got COVID. So I find myself with this trifecta of perceived turmoil. Soaking, sad, stressed, concerned. And during that time, I got to see the unconsciousness within me, I got to see the skeletons within me start to come out. Because we judge ourselves based upon who we are when everything's going right. Oh, I'm such a good person. I'm so this, I'm so that. Let them jack your stuff up and then see how you are, really. <laughs> Just see what comes out. Go ahead, squeeze that lemon. See if it don't burn you in the eyeball. Try it. I got to see them skeletons come up, those skeletons of anger, those skeletons of frustration, those skeletons of self-judgment and self-loathing that became so evident that they were being suppressed. I thought, oh, I meditate every day, I, I do this, this, and that, I'm so self-aware. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And yet here you are, tripping. You ever trip alone in your own house? Like nobody even made you mad. You just wake up tripping to yourself. 
You know what I'm saying? All right, that, that's my pathology, all right? That's my pathology. I'll, I'll be honest, you know? But there's a reason that I speak here today with such fervency. There's a reason why I can say right now that I know that God got me, that I know that ain't nothing, any blessing that comes in my life got nothing to do with Ryan Howard. Because the same man who had that torn Achilles, who's walking right now with no boot, that same man who was sitting there working to try to get my bills paid, just accepted a job last week. Just accepted a job last week. And I'm not just talking about no job. I'm talking about a job that he exalted me in. <sighs> Yo, you started this, Rav. <laughs> this is on you, dog. <laughs> I'm talking about a job where I am now the same, the same person who almost flunked out of undergrad six years ago, who's now about to get a PhD in a year. This same person who my counselor told me was not going to be a scholar. This job, I am going to be designing accredited curriculum for physicians. How's that for a scholar? There is a faith, there is a connectedness to God that only comes through our solitary journeys. There is a reason why when the psalmist spoke of the Israelites, if it had not been for the Lord who is on my side, now may Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath had kindled against us. The streams had overwhelmed us. The waters had gone over our soul. The proud waters had then gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not delivered us as a prey to their teeth. My soul is escaped like a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Sometimes we have brittle faith because we forget that last verse. We have brittle faith because we finish Psalm 124 with my help is in the name of my pocketbook. My help is in this mirror I'm looking in. My help is in my boo. My help is in my friend. My help is in anything external of me. My help is in something completely separate from God. But when we realize, when we get in these solitary spaces where God said, I got you alone, if you think your help is in anything other than you or me, <laughs> you're gonna find out quickly that you need something different. Because those other things, your bank account, your whatever, ain't going to help you when God puts you in a solitary journey. That solitary journey says, I don't have any other options but to look at you, God. And the fervency in those Israelites 
who said, if it hadn't been for him, if it hadn't been for him, it can't get done. Sometimes you need that type of experience to say, Lord, if you don't do it, it's not happening. That stuff I just told you about, if God didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. And I get to stand here today and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. same God is the same God that looks at every single one of us and says it is good. My desire with what I'm saying right now is that you would realize you no longer have the ability to think to yourself that God forgot me. Because if there's anything that Ryan Howard was put on this earth for, it's to show that dust can become diamonds. That's it. That's it. That he can take your crap and make you a king. I know I ain't nothing, but in him I am everything. And every chair filled in this room is imbued with that same truth. (sighs) And so I'll leave that with this one last point. There is a process to the fool's transition into a savior. That process is one, become aware of your foolishness. Become aware that you're a fool. And that's not disrespect, become aware that you will never stop being one. Listen, God is the best baseball pitcher there has ever been. He's got curveballs for you. Think you've seen it all? Okay. Be aware of your foolishness. Secondly, learn to regulate your foolishness. Instead of omitting it, instead of trying to hide those skeletons in your closet, learn to understand you are going to have foolishness within you always. That's okay. It's called being human. It's literally what it means. Learn to regulate your foolishness. Lastly, when you do those two and you continue to be fervent in your pursuit of God, you transcend your foolishness. Last point. The family safe generational patterns. When we think of the image of a family safe and you open the safe, you see these precious heirlooms. You might see jewelry, you might see very expensive or very prized possessions, you know? But that safe could also be rather a mixed bag because you might find some good things, but you also might find some monsters, some monsters called generational patterns, some things that were present in your grandmama's life, your great-granddaddy's life. Some things that you don't even know are playing out in your life now. And so when you look around and you try to find someone to blame, 
for the imperfections and the struggles that you're undergoing, you might not even realize that you have subconscious processes acting on your behalf that are causing your self-sabotage unbeknownst to you. Generational patterns. Cleaning this family safe begins with you questioning these monsters. What monsters did my environment give me? What are the behaviors that I learned from the people I was around? What did they teach me? Why did I decide to adorn it? What are those monsters doing for me in my life? Because we don't entertain, we don't entertain any monsters without a purpose. What monsters did I willingly integrate in my personality to meet my egoic needs? What are the egoic desires I have that I decided I would adorn certain tools that are monstrous, that are destructive, that are not of God? I chose to utilize those tools because I said I got needs and I got to go get them. And this is the way I learned how. Because all of us meet our needs, even when we feel like we're needing things. When it comes to our psychological needs, we all meet our needs. We just don't always meet them in healthy ways. And so cleaning this out, cleaning these generational patterns is solitary work. Why? <laughs> because someone who's willing to challenge their own subconscious patterns, that in and of itself is a rarity. It's rare for someone to say, wait, 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 let me go back. Let me go into the hardware. I'm, you know what? I'm really tired of blaming people. You know what? You know what is the, the same constituent factor in all the experiences I've been in? Me. Y'all didn't know I could get that high pitch, did you? <laughs> Me. Maybe, you know what? Maybe somebody else is to blame for some of that, but I'm going to put them on hold. I'm not going to let my internal IRS go audit them. Let me audit me first. Let me see what's going on. Maybe I'll find some new stuff. That in and of itself is a rare individual. And most people love their patterns. They swear they don't. They swear they don't. They say, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of living this way. <laughs> I know, I know, because folks, me, me and Danny be at the gym, and Danny be getting calls. Then begin calls while we lived and he got to step outside. I know it. Folks be calling him, I'm so tired. I'm tired of living this way. Soon as you start talking to people about what they're tired about and start presenting a new possible path to perhaps rectifying that space, all of a sudden they get defensive. What are you defending if you don't want it anymore? Sometimes we love things that aren't good for us. I won't go into that. I won't. No, 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 no. No, I'm going to close that sock drawer. We're going to deal with that another time. <laughs> but that's why it's solitary work. But also, because especially when it comes to our generational patterns, some of the biggest barriers to our growth are devils in our own house. 
some of the biggest barriers to our growth are the people closest to us. Mm -hmm. That's hitting people, you know. It's the truth. And a main reason we think it's just because, oh, people don't want us to be happy. No, no, no. The real reason why that tends to happen is because when you are deciding to challenge the toxic dynamics, the toxic relational and familial dynamics that you engage with, and you're especially trying to challenge those dynamics in the seat with the people who are engaged in those dynamics as well, when you start looking at your own stuff, what you're really doing is shining a mirror to their willingness to sit in their own slop. When you decide to step up out the slop, you make me self-conscious. You make me too self-aware. And so now I have a problem with you, and so now I have to challenge you because you're breaking the status quo. Leave it the way it is because I'm not ready, so you can't be ready. Crabs in a bucket. Another element of toxic familial dynamics and relational dynamics is that when we get in a group, have you noticed that our subconscious plays a major role in who we bring ourselves around? We end up meeting friends and making acquaintances and getting into groups that we say understand us or relate to us. And then we gossip. We have some negative encounter and we go to our friends and we talk about it and they bolster us up. They make us feel good about our negative emotions. <laughs> so many times when we get in these groups, we think that we're experiencing emotional connectedness over the scenario because we have shared wisdom. But in actuality, we really have shared coping mechanisms in response to our shared trauma. And so we are bonding over our pain instead of our newness. Sometimes he's got to get us away. Sometimes that's how he's got to call us out into our power. And so I want to leave you guys with this. I want to leave you with a perfect example of what it looks like embracing your solitary journey and emerging from it on the other side. Scripture, John 16, 32 to 33. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In my opinion, this scripture is one of the biggest flexes that Jesus ever conveyed. Jesus said, hold up, I'm going to prophesy to you about what y'all going to do to me. The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and leave me alone. Don't worry, though. It's cool. Because even though you're going to do me like that, I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. I have said these things to you. I'm saying this to you for you, 
so that in me you may have peace. He's saying, y'all going to leave me, but I'm going to go and be your peace. I'm so grounded that not only am I good, I'm going to come to you and your trifling self, and I'm going to show love to you too. In the world, you will have tribulation. So the world y'all are leaving me for, it's going to turn you upside down. And I'm letting you know it. But don't worry, honey. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. My thoughts, my emotions, anything that can happen to me, whatever is going on, I have overcome it. So take peace in me. I got you. That right there is a lighthouse. What Jesus is showing is that when you embrace your solitary journeys, the fact that he allowed himself to go into that wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and be tempted by the devil, what was imbued when he came out is that kind of stability. To say, I can stand in a world full of darkness and I will shine bright and I will be the love of God in this world. I will be a representation of who I serve. When somebody says, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, that's cool. Here he is. Here he is. Here he is. That's what we're called to do. So embrace your solitary journeys. Let them mold you, and there you will find power beyond belief. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hartway. We love you. We thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday.